John chapter 3, John chapter 3, we're starting a new series today um, called Generous Living, uh, Living Generously rather, and in the coming weeks we'll be learning how to steward our lives more towards generosity. It's not really a series on money, we'll talk about money at some point, but uh, it's really about life and about the various things in our life uh, that we manage, right? And so whether that be our time or our gifts, abilities, our, our spiritual gifts, um, our finances, the things that we have in our lives that we have to make choices on how we manage those things and how do we manage them towards generosity because that's what God has called us towards. In fact, you know, I've never uh, met anyone uh, that I can recall anyway um, that, that took pride. I've met selfish people. I've met stingy people. I've been selfish at times. I've been stingy at times. I've been all those things or greedy or whatever you want to call it. But nobody wants to be known as that way. Uh, nobody really even thinks they are that way most of the time. Uh, we like to think that we're generous because we know that generous people make the world a better place. We know generosity is a good thing because we've all benefited from generosity. So whether that be uh, people being generous with their time towards us or their knowledge and wisdom or their influence or their finances or their abilities, in some way we've benefited from the generosity of others in our homes or at school, at work, um, in our communities, uh, we kind of Instinctively know the world needs generous people, that generosity makes the world a better place. So we like to think of ourselves as generous. We kind of deep down hope we are generous, but at the same time, it's more naturally for us, it, it comes more naturally for us to be a little more selfish, uh, a little more stingy, maybe a, a little more greedy. Uh, but we're created in the image of God. And we're create, that means we're created to image and to reflect God and to kind of to say something about God with our lives, to speak truth about God with the way we live and behave and the things we do. And God is a generous God. And so we need to reflect that, especially as those who, who are, are Christians and who have placed our faith in Christ. We want to reflect that with our lives to show the world that our God is a generous God. But we know ever since the fall, we come back to this all the time, since Adam and Eve, since the first sin and sin entered the world and we're all sinners that we're all broken and we fail to image God as well as we should because that image is distorted in us and so we tend to lean towards selfishness and stinginess and greediness and all these other things instead of generosity because though we're made to image and reflect God and, and though we're made in his image we tend to uh, wander away from that and rebel against God. And today I want us to, as we begin this series on um, living generously, I want us to begin with a look at the heart of God. I want us to see that generosity begins with God, uh, that it is God who is first and foremost generous, and that generosity is his idea, and generosity comes from him. So I kind of want us to, to get a really good look at the love and generosity of God this morning, to, to understand that just as God's word tells believers, uh, you are to be holy for I am holy. That that would also mean that all the other things, we're to be loving because God is loving, and we're to be forgiving because God is forgiving, and we are to be generous because God is generous. We are, to, we are to imitate our God. We are to reflect Him, and we are to image Him in various ways. And so uh, the, the best passage that came to mind for me this week that kind of displays uh, the generosity of God is the most famous passage in all of Scripture. So look with me in John chapter 3. We're going to read verses 16 through 18, and we're going to camp out in verse 16. 
16 and kind of look at it with different eyes this morning. Uh, with, if you're a believer this morning in Christ, I want you to kind of look at this with the eyes of a believer and, under, and ask the question, what can I learn about God from this passage? So look with me, John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Would you pray with me? Father, we are grateful this morning for this great passage. And, uh, and that 16th verse, the, the most famous verse probably in all of Scripture that many of us in this room know by heart. And we thank you for what this Scripture teaches us about you. And by implication, what it should show us about how we are to live as those who have placed our faith in Christ Jesus. So Lord, would you teach us this morning from your scriptures. Help us to take your scriptures very seriously and let its truth sink deep into our heart that it may flow through our life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so generosity begins with God. God is the most generous being that ever has or will exist. Nobody has ever outgiven God, and, and nothing sums that up better than John three sixteen. The gospel reveals to us uh, God's love and his generosity. And what I want you to really notice as you look with me this morning with kind of fresh eyes at John three sixteen is the connection between God's love and his generosity. You see it there, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. I want us to understand generosity flows from love. Always has, always will. Generosity flows from love. We need to, and we need to learn that we need to behold this in God. And as believers in Christ, we need to ask the Holy Spirit to press the gospel, the good news of Jesus, deeper into our hearts and lives so that we will be filled with the kind of love and generosity that our God is. And so it's the gospel that's the power of God unto salvation. It's the gospel that is uh, through faith in, in, in the gospel. We have been reconciled to God, right, through faith in Christ Jesus. And, as, and we grow and mature by appropriating the good news of the gospel into every part of our life. And here in John chapter 3, Jesus has been having a discussion with a man named Nicodemus. And he, he told Nicodemus, before you get to this passage, he tells him, he said, you, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven unless you're born again. And this was confusing to Nicodemus. He said, what in the world do you mean? Do I, I'm supposed to, how, how in the world is that supposed to work? You know, and, and you're supposed to enter a second time into my mother's womb. This is very confusing and weird. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You're thinking about physical things. And Jesus says, I'm talking about a spiritual birth. You were born the first time physically. You need to be born again spiritually. You need a new heart. You need new life. You're, you're born dead spiritually is ultimately what Jesus is trying to point to there. You need to, you need to be given spiritual life. You need to be born again. You need to be born of God. You need to be born from heaven. He says, Jesus says, no one will see the kingdom of heaven unless he's born again. And then when you get down to uh, verse 16, uh, Bible scholars and commentators differ over whether this is Jesus talking or whether it's John who wrote the gospel of John elaborating for us. And most believe that it was probably John. I know it's in red in your Bible. That's okay. Um, he might be summarizing kind of the rest of what Jesus said there. But it, it's kind of hard to tell at times in John where he's quoting Jesus and where he's just, he's just giving us what the Holy Spirit is told him to give us. Either way, this is from God, right? And so he's, giving a, he's kind of giving us this summary of the mission of Jesus and why God sent Jesus into the world. 
And we get here this, this picture of the, the love of God, the generosity of God, and, the, and then what it means to believe. And so let's just kind of walk through verse 16. We're going to use verse 17 and 18 to just kind of help us better understand verse 16, but we're going to camp out in John 3, 16. So let's, let's kind of start first with the love of God here. He says, for God so loved the world, right? Um, I love what D.A. Carson says about this. He says, this, this phrase shows us the intensity of the love of God. Or you may say the, 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 um, the, 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 um, the magnification of that love, how, how big that love is, how intense that love, how great that love is. Because even in the original language here, it, it's for God, it, it's not, not just that God loved the world, for God so loved the world. He's really trying to put emphasis on his love because of what's gonna come next, right? That he gave his only son. He, he's showing us the incredible nature of the love of God. And just in that little phrase, for God so loved the world, is a lot. I mean, we could unpack that alone in an entire message, right? I mean, there's just a lot to unpack there. The idea here of, of, of who God is and, and what we learn about the nature of God just from that statement. We know the Bible begins, it, it just, it, it assumes we understand that there is a God. Verse one of the Bible is in the beginning, God, right? And so all things begin with God. Creation began with God and, and love begins with God. Uh, John tells us God loves the world that he made, right? We know God is the creator of all things. And, and we talked just a minute ago how he created people in his image to reflect him and to bring him glory. And John tells us that, that God loves this world that he has made. And, and when we look at the passage in its entirety, verses 16 through 18, we see lots of reasons why the world could be considered unlovable. Reasons for maybe God not to love the world. And, Verse 16, it tells us that we need to believe in Jesus so that we perish rather than have eternal, we have eternal life rather than perish. So the idea here is that the world is perishing, which points to a problem. And the Bible tells us we know that problem is sin. The wages of sin is death. And so the reason we perish, the reason we die, the reason we are all these, all these things like this happen to us, the reason sickness and death and all this is in the world is because of sin, because we rebelled against God. But even when you get down further into verses 17 and 18, he starts talking about condemnation. And the fact that apart from Christ, we, we are already condemned. If we haven't believed in Christ, we, we stand condemned. We're, we're, we're in a place of condemnation. God has, has rendered judgment over us because of our sin. And the world is full of sinners who are deserving of God's judgment and wrath. And we know God is holy and therefore he hates sin. God is just and therefore he must punish sin. And at the same time though, John's telling us here in the midst of all that about condemnation and perishing and pointing to our sinfulness, he says God loves the world. And what we're seeing here is the love of God is not rooted in, as Carson says, our loveliness, but it's rooted in the very nature of God. God doesn't love you because you're awesome. He doesn't love you because we're just so easy to love. God loves us because as John would tell us later in 1 John, he is love. It's just in his nature to love. 1 John 4, 8 says, anyone who does not love God does not know God because God is love. In 1 John 4, 16, he says, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. So, so it's in the very nature of God to love. Our God is a loving God. He loves because he loves he loves because he is love. It's what comes naturally to him. And, and John sees no contradiction in saying, man, God is holy and God is just and God will judge and you stand condemned and God loves you. 
God is a loving God. But then he goes on to talk about that God is a generous God. We see the generosity of God. He says, he so loved the world that he gave his only son. Uh, The love of God leads to generosity. It led to the generosity of him giving his son. Extraordinary generosity. Isn't it interesting how it's human instinct for us um, to give to show our love? We, we do that kind of naturally. We, we want to show love, we give. So in our culture, for instance, most of the time, uh, when someone falls, when a man falls in love with a woman and he decides he wants to marry this woman, what does he do? He goes and he buys a ring, right? He goes and he puts together whatever he's going to do that would be special for them, and he gets down on one knee. He gets down on one knee, and he, and he, you need to remember that. That's a good step for, for those that aren't married, guys. Get down on one knee. And he asks her to marry him, but he does it with what? A gift in his hand most of the time, right? And, to show, and a, a token of his love, symbol of his love. At Christmas, we all gather around the Christmas tree, and we give presents to the people we love. When someone does well at work or whatever, we give them a compliment. When, uh, when, when I got back from Cuba last week, I, I gave my family presents, right? It's just in our kind of our human instinct that when you love, it, you, you, you show that love with generosity, And God's love for us led him somewhere, led him to be generous towards us because love and generosity are linked. Love and generosity are linked. Where generosity is absent, I'm telling you, love is cold or absent. Love leads to generosity in the heart of God and love leads to generosity in the hearts of people. And so, you know, when we read this and we say, so God so loved the world, he gave his son. It begs the question, obviously, of why. And we talk a little bit about that. We see that we're destined to perish apart from Christ. Apart from him, we stand condemned, deserving of judgment. And then God, he says, he says he, so he gives his son. He, he says that in verse 17, he sends his son who steps into our mess to bring us back to God. The light of the world, as we sing, as we sing steps into darkness. God becomes a man, clothes himself in human flesh, So God comes himself, the son of God, right? The second person of the Trinity steps into humanity, takes on human flesh to save us from our sin. And and, and just in that picture, we've got a picture of the generosity of the father. He gives the son, he sends the son, and the generosity of the son who willingly comes and lays down his life. The Bible goes on to tell us that the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, is also generous because he gives gifts to men. Uh, The spiritual gifts and the things of that nature that we have present in the church today um, are gifts of the Holy Spirit to God's people because he loves God's people. And so like your spiritual gift, whatever they may be, or spiritual gifts, and 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 even the abilities and things God gives you, man, that they're gifts for other people, right, for you to bless other people with. And so the Father sends the Son. He's generous. He gives us Jesus, gives his life. He's generous. The Holy Spirit gives gifts to men. Our God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, is a generous God. And as John says, God so loves that he gave his only son, right? So he's showing us this, the, the, the lavishness of God's generosity. As Romans 5, 8 says, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What do you see there? Love of God, generosity of God linked together. God is not just generous. He is radically, sacrificially, selflessly generous. He's all in. He didn't just give. We see in the gospel, God gave his best. He gives himself. He gives his his only son. And then in John 3, 16, here in the the last part, we see the benefit of all this to us. So we see God's love. We see his generosity. And then we see how we benefit. It says, whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. 
Sounds like a great deal, right? As much as God loves us, as generous as he's been toward us, we know that we, that doesn't get applied to we believe. We, as Christians, we know that. As those who have placed their faith in Christ, we get. That's when, that's when man, that it got applied to our account, applied to our life. We had to believe on Christ because it's possible to know of God's love to believe God's love you, to know and hear of his generosity in Christ and not ultimately benefit from it because you fail to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But when we believe, when we place our faith in Christ alone for salvation, turning from our sin to him, he says we go from the state of perishing, right, of death, spiritually dead, dying physically, destined for eternal death and separation from God's love forever. And he says instead, we get something called eternal life. Now, Jesus would later define eternal life in the Gospel of John is this, that, that they know the Father and the Son whom he sent. And so eternal life is found in relationship with God. It's found in relationship with God. So the moment you enter a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, eternal life begins and it lasts forever. But it's kind of like this. It's kind of like when you read, um, scholars would put it this way. Like when you, when, you, when you read the New Testament, you see the kingdom of God is coming, right? And, and the kingdom of God is at hand. And then we know ultimately the kingdom of God is going to come in finality when Jesus comes. So it's been, it's been consummated, but it comes in finality when Christ comes. And that's kind of the way eternal life works. Uh, we have this taste of it. it's begun now and it's secure. He's given us the Holy Spirit. It's like this down payment of God's presence in our life. But we'll more fully experience eternal life in the future, right? When we're with Jesus forever, when we're in a new heaven and a new earth, when in eternity we'll more fully experience eternal life, this idea of living forever with God, without sin, without shame, in perfect communion with him. And when we think about this, that a people that deserved death get life, and not just any life, but eternal life, life with God forever. A people that deserve to be condemned by God, as John says in verse 17 and 18, who are condemned already, are now through faith in Christ in relationship with God forever, justified before him, what we see is God's love leads to him being radically generous and that generosity benefits us in amazing ways. Because generosity always benefits somebody. It always, gener it always benefits somebody. And what we're learning in this passage about God is that he loves us immeasurably, he's shown his immeasurable love with immeasurable generosity and we benefit in immeasurable ways. Now, as we look at this text as Christians, if you're a Christian this morning, as someone who has believed and went from death to life, as someone who sees what God is like, we have to ask the question, well, what, what does this mean for me as a believer? Like, when I look at this and I see the heart of God, that God loves and God is generous and people benefit from his love and generosity, what does that mean for me? You say, why would I even ask that question? Because the apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1 that therefore we are to be imitators of God as beloved children. As, as, as the children of God, those who have been brought into, born of God and adopted into his family, we are to desire to imitate our God and his character. And his, we, we are to pursue justice and we are to pursue love and we are to pursue holiness and generosity and kindness and all these things that we see exhibited in our God. We are to be people who love as God loves and are generous as God is generous. And the truth is, the Bible teaches and shows us that we become like what we behold. The, the Bible tells us in the Old Testament, the people that worship idols, false gods, ultimately, as they worship, as they behold those, uh, those idols, they become like those idols. And as we behold our God, we become more like him. As we behold Christ, we become more like him. Let me show you. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. 
Uh, This is one of the most important passages in all the New Testament to understand how spiritual growth works. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17 and 18 says this, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with, with, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. When, before you placed your faith in Christ, there was a veil, okay? And you didn't see clearly. Uh, the Bible even says that, that Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers. But in Christ, the veil, the veil is lifted, the blindness is gone, and, and we, as we b- look at Christ through the Word of God, and the Holy Spirit shows us the beauty and the worth of Christ through the Word of God, we behold the glory of the Lord. And as we do that, we are transformed. We are transformed to be more like Christ into the same image from one degree of glory to another. We are becoming more like Christ as we behold Christ and as we behold God through the word because the veil has been lifted through the power of the gospel. And it's my conviction as we behold the love and generosity of God God shown us in Christ, we can be transformed to become more like our God. We are loved so we need to love as we have been loved, right? We, are, uh, we have experienced God's generosity, so we should be generous. We have benefited from God's love and generosity. People should benefit from our love and generosity. So I want to encourage us this morning uh, to, let this, to, to, to ask God to let this text more be appropriated through our lives so that we can grow in generous living. So I want us to look at it this morning and see how we can press it deeper. So I want to give you three quick ways that I believe we can do that with John 3, 16, okay? Number one, uh, we need to rest in the love of God. We need to rest in the love of God. We, we see here God so loves that he, that he gave, right? We see the love of God here. I don't believe we can truly love until we have rested in God's love for us. I don't believe we can become more loving people until we realize how loved we are by God. It, 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 there's a reason that, that he tells us that God so loved that he gave his son. There's a reason that he tells us about the love of God. There's a reason that First John runs rich with the pictures of the, and telling us about the love of God. There's a reason that the Bible tells this story and shows us that the supreme picture of the love of God is found in the gospel of Jesus, it's because, man, if we're going to love others as we're called to love, if we're going to love God like we're called to love, we first have to learn to understand and recognize that we are objects of God's love, that we are loved. See, it's human nature to take until you've been filled. And so once you're filled with God's love, then you, are, you feel more free to give and to be more Loving. 1 John 4, 19 to 21 says this, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. See, our love is a response to God's love. We love because he first loved us. The reason the church is, is supposed to be extraordinarily loving towards those around our neighbors and towards our enemies, even Jesus tells us, and towards one another is because we are responding to the love we have received from God. We love because he loves us, and it manifests itself in how we love our, as, he says, as John says, our brother. But even a believer can get distracted in the world can believe the lies of the enemy. And if we're not careful, our sin nature will begin to think things like this. Does God really love me or does he tolerate me? 
If our love is a response to God's love, doesn't it make sense that if we want to grow in love for God and others, that we should first remember and rest again and again in his love for us? Uh, when you begin to kind of forget and grow cold and indifferent towards God's love for you, I'm telling you, you're going to grow cold and indifferent towards your, in your love towards others and towards God. Because our love is a response to God's love. And the more we recognize that God loves us, the more we fully understand that, the more we really believe that, and the more that really hits home with us, the more we're resting in that, the more we will love. I read a book recently called The Common Rule. The guy that wrote it, um, Justin Early, said, this is not in the book, but it was somewhere else in some of his other writings or something I found this, that it's uh, something he does each night when he tucks his little kids into bed. He gets down beside their bed and he asks them a question, a series of questions. He says, do you know that I love you? And he, their little, you know, four-year-old or whatever says yes. And he says, do you know that God loves you? And he responds, yes. He says, then he asks them this, do you know that God loves you more than anyone else does? And they're supposed to answer yes. He says, even more than I love you. And they are supposed to answer yes. And then the last thing they hear before he leaves their room is rest in that love. You say, why would he do that? Why would he say that over his children every night? Because it's so important that we understand. I mean, it's just, it's fundamental to human flourishing that you understand you're loved by God. And it's fundamental to your relationships with other people that you understand you're loved by God. It's fundamental in every way that we rest in God's love. And if we want to grow in love and generosity towards others, we need to first rest in God's love. Secondly, we need to reflect on the generosity of God. I mean, maybe you've never looked at John 3.16 that way. Maybe you just look at John 3.16 and you think, oh, this is how to be saved. You believe in Jesus. And that's true. But have you really thought about the generosity of God on display in that simple little phrase, God so loved the world that he gave his only son? Could have said it a lot of ways. But he does it in a way to show that love leads to generosity. And if you rest in God's love and become more loving, you will become more generous. 1 John 3, 16 through 18 shows us this. 1 John 3, 16 through 18, it says this, by this we know love that he laid down his life for us. So the way we know love, he says, is by generosity. He laid down his life for us. He gave his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. In other words, we need to, he don't mean like we literally need to go around dying for everybody. His point is, we need to live selflessly like Jesus lived selflessly. In verse 17, he says, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. Here's what John is saying. How can you say you love God when you're not generous to your brother? That's what he's saying. He's saying that we have a tendency to say we love and yet not be generous people. And he's showing us that is impossible, right? That tangible, we, we usually just say, well, what, what he's talking about here is tangible expression of love. Yeah, that's called generosity, right? That's love you feel. That's love you can see. That's loving, not in word or talk, but indeed in truth. It's preposterous for us to say, wow, I love God, but I'm not generous towards the things of God with my time and with my money and with my gifts. Oh, I love people, but I'm not generous towards people. Oh, I love these kinds of people, but I'm not generous towards these kinds of people. No, no, no. If we love, we're generous. We know it. We see it in our families. We're generous towards our families, towards our spouses, towards our kids, because we love them. And when we love God, we live open-handedly before God. And when we love our neighbor, we live open-handedly before our neighbor. And we, what we need to understand is if we're going to have that happen in increasing measure of our lives, we need to regularly reflect on and understand 
the generosity of God. And here's why I believe that's true. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul used the generosity shown in the gospel to motivate believers to live more generously. So this is not something I came up with. Paul came up with this, okay? Holy Spirit came up with this. 2 Corinthians 8 9 says this. Paul in 2 Corinthians 8 9 is writing to the Corinthians church. And chapters 8 and and chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians is is really the best passage in all of the Bible on, on, on generosity, on giving, and all that. And he's encouraging them to be more generous, to follow through in their generosity. In this context, he's talking about financially supporting something that was going on there, a mission endeavor. In verse 9, as he calls on them to be generous, he says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. In other words, he's pointing to the richness of that relationship with the Father. Though he's high and exalted in the heavenly places, though he's the Son of God, man, he took on human flesh and came down here born in a manger. Listen, though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. What's he saying? He's reminding them, you've benefited from the generosity of God. So we should be, people should benefit from our generosity. Our Savior is generous. Our Heavenly Father is generous. Who are we to not be generous? So we need to reflect on, he wants them to reflect on the generosity shown them in the gospel because reflecting helps in imitating. Reflecting helps in imitating. Yesterday, my two oldest children were watching a Spider-Man cartoon while I was doing some stuff at the table, doing some stuff on this, and, uh, and they were just sitting there quietly. And I looked up at some point, like, um, I don't know, halfway through the movie. That's usually about the place it hits. And, and my four-year-old daughter, she's still mesmerized by the, the Spider-Man thing here, the Spider-Man cartoon, and my son has disappeared. And I'm like, where is my six-year-old went? And a few moments later, he reappears, fully decked out as Spider-Man, right? He's done with the movie. He's become the man, right? And so he's, he's everywhere, right? All over the house. He's shooting spider webs, and he's doing all the things he's seen Spider-Man do, and he's got the full garb on, right? Like it's Halloween or something. He's decked out as Spider-Man because and it wasn't enough for him just to watch the movie, right? He wanted to, he wanted to live the movie. I remember as a kid, uh, I had this, I really liked the, inc- the Incredible Hulk TV show. Y'all, some of y'all remember that show? They had the little uh, show, Lou Ferrigno, or is that his name, Ferrigno? Uh, he, he, he played the Hulk, and then I forget the guy that played um, the, uh, the, uh, the guy that becomes the Hulk, Bruce Banner, and, and I remember, I mean, much, much more serious problem is I wanted to imitate the Hulk, and so they, they do a lot more trouble than Spider-Man does, and so, but man, we, we, there's just something in a kid, right, when they see something, they begin to want to aspire and to imitate something, and when we reflect as God's children on Christ and what he has done for us, it's supposed to inspire us to love others like he loves us. It's supposed to inspire us to be generous as he's been towards us. If God's generosity doesn't move us to be generous, we probably haven't understood God's generosity. We probably have not properly understood it. We should never get over the generosity shown us in Jesus. We should never get over the cross. We don't graduate from it. If we spend as much time reflecting on the cross before we gave each week, for instance, or before we served by giving our time, somewhere in the community or here at the church. And before we employed our spiritual gifts, whether that's teaching or encouraging or serving in some way, or before we used our abilities to serve others, if we would spend as much time reflecting on God's generosity shown to us on the cross as we do stressing about the money before we give it or about our lack of time in a week before we surrender it, we would be transformed in our generosity. 
Because rather than reflect on what God's done for us in Christ, our human nature wants to stress on how to manage everything in a certain way so that we still get what we feel like is ours. But as we reflect on the generosity shown to us, and God, I'm just telling you, man, it's like a spiritual instinct. Our hands and our lives will open up. It's just the way it works. We need to worry less and stress less and reflect more on the power shown on the cross and the, the generosity shown at the cross. And this helps transform the why behind my giving. It's not just because I ought to. It's because I have seen and I've experienced God's generosity. It's I give because he gave. I give because I have received. I bless because I have been blessed. My heart is full, therefore I give, as opposed to, I'm supposed to do this. The final thing that we need to do, I think, to to help us better employ the idea of God's love and generosity so that we can become more loving and generous. Not only do we we need to reflect on the generosity of God, not only do we need to rest in the love of God, thirdly, we need to rejoice in the gift of God. How should those who, as verse 16 says, if you've believed in Christ Jesus, you've no longer perishing, you have eternal life. How should we think and act in response to this? I mean, shouldn't that be filled with joy? I mean, we're the benefactors of God's generosity. When when God gave, you and I benefited. And God is still giving, right? Every good thing in our lives, the book of James tells us, comes down from the Father of lights, comes down from our Heavenly Father. Every good thing that you have came from God. And that should fill us with joyful gratitude. Point being, Luke 10, 20, Jesus says this, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. This is after the disciples go out, man, they're casting out demons and stuff. They come back, they're all fired up, man. Like the spirits, man, they're subject to us. And Jesus says, don't rejoice in that. He says this, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. He goes, you want something to shout about. You want something to celebrate. Rejoice that you have eternal life. Rejoice that your name has been written in heaven. Rejoice that God knows you by name and that you're one of his children. See, we have received far more than we could ever possibly give. We can't outgive God because God gave the ultimate. We can't be too generous towards others because God has been supremely generous to all. We cannot outgive God. I believe the more we rejoice in what we have received from God, the more that will help us have the right perspective toward our time, our talents, our treasure, towards our generosity. Because we've received what he says here is called eternal life. We're going to spend eternity with God, and that has already begun, and it's only going to, the Bible tells us, it's only going to get better. So rejoicing in the gift of eternal life reminds me and reminds you that this world is not the end. (laughs) It's not our home. We're going to spend infinitely more time in eternity with God, in a new heaven and a new earth with God, than we're going to spend in this little portion that we get on this earth. Whether that be 20, 40, 60, 80, 100, 120 years. Whatever that may be, it's going to be very small in comparison to eternity. And rejoicing in the gift we have of eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord, man, it reminds us of that. That our future is secure and blessed. So why should I live with a closed hand now? Why would I not invest my time in kingdom pursuits now? 
Why would I not give others more of my time when my forever is secure with Christ? Why wouldn't I be generous with God's money he's entrusted me with when I know eternity awaits? Why would I not use my gifts and abilities now to serve the kingdom of God and others when I'm going to do that for all of eternity? So God is love. And his love has been expressed in a particular way, his generosity. And we are the benefactors as his children of that love and generosity. And as his children... We're called to imitate him, so we too should be loving, we too should be generous, and other people should benefit, right? It's a real easy link in the chain here. If we're not generous, we're not loving like we should. If nobody's benefiting, if, then we're not being generous, right? I mean, it's, it's just an unbreakable chain. We love, we give, other people are blessed. The questions this morning are real simple. If you're a believer in Jesus, are you pursuing having a heart like God's heart? Not just in this area, in any area. Are we pursuing holiness because our God is holy? Are we pursuing forgiveness because our God is forgiving? Are we pursuing reconciliation because our God's a reconciler? Are we pursuing generosity because our God is generous? Are we pursuing love because our God is loving? Do we desire to grow in our generosity? Do we want to be, that live a more generous life? Well, learn to rest in God's love. Reflect more on God's generosity. Rejoice more in the gift he's given you in eternal life. And I really do believe that the Holy Spirit will work in us to become a more generous people in every area of our lives. But maybe this morning, you've never believed on Christ. You've heard about his love and his generosity shown in the gospel. Maybe you've never benefited because you've never placed your faith in Christ. You've never benefited in terms of salvation. It's not enough to know God loves and God gave his son and his son died on the cross for us and his son rose from the dead, that he took the punishment we deserve. It's not enough to know that. We have to believe. We have to rest in it. We have to put our faith and our trust in Christ and allow the Holy Spirit to come into our life and transform our life. We have to turn away from our sin and turn to Christ in wholehearted faith. Have you done that this morning? Have you done that this morning? The first response that we are to have towards God's generosity is to receive it by faith. Let's pray.